Welcome to the Functional Medicine and Natural Healing Podcast, where we share the secrets to upgrade your digestion, improve your hormones, restore your immune system, and detoxify your body. I'm your host, Dr. Houston Anderson. Now let's get started. The following discussion is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or disease process. Always discuss any medical treatments or medical interventions with your personal physician. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Houston Anderson. I've got Dr. Gabe here today, and we're going to talk a little bit about leaky gut. Again, our last podcast covered leaky gut, and two of the main questions that we get, like what is leaky gut and the best way to treat leaky gut. So if you missed that episode, go back. But let's go to some of the, the interesting questions that come with leaky gut. So you listen to that podcast, you're thinking, what do I do? What's my next step? Um, you're not quite to the point where you need to see a doctor. And so, or maybe you saw a doctor and you're all better. So the first question I have for you, Dr. Gabe, is should you repeat a leaky gut repair protocol? And if so, how often? I love that. Because um, it depends. It depends on, are you following a good diet? Generally speaking, are you living a healthy lifestyle? If you are, let's say, let's start with stress. So like if your job is stressful or your home life is stressful, you might need to repeat a certain degree of a protocol, um, but it can be specific because I've had somebody come in, test for one herb, and then the next time they come in, they test for a different herb. Um, but it really kind of depends on how stressful your lifestyle is. If you're stressed out, maybe you have to come in periodically for checkups and you might need an herb when you come in. Now, whether or not you have leaky gut again, that's still a question, but something is going downhill because of the stress. So maybe we're being preventative before leaky gut really sets in. Maybe it's starting, that sort of thing. Otherwise, um, this is a common thing that I've seen. People wanna reintroduce the foods that they're intolerant to. And so six months in, three months in, whenever it is, they start eating that food again, and then everything goes downhill. Um, and that ends up being problematic. Now, if they catch it and they realize, oh, yeah, I can't have gluten. I better uh, go off gluten again. It might not be no big deal. The last one that I, comes to my mind, just as we're rounding the corner away from summer, going into fall, um, of course, we got the holidays. And yeah. that's going to be the most common time that somebody is going to say, ah, what the heck? And they're going to eat sugar for Halloween. They're going to eat sugar for Thanksgiving and sugar for Christmas and probably in between all those holidays on top of that. And so almost always that's not going to go well. It doesn't go well for me whenever whoops, uh, I do it. Um, doesn't go well for anyone. And I, I generally give advice for people on like you shouldn't be having sugar every day, period. You should be having it special events. Um, so if you're going to have it, have it around the holidays or, uh, you know, a really special event, like an anniversary or something like that. But when you do that on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not good. Even on the holidays, it's not good, depending on what you're eating. And so like our local ice cream place is Andy's. Um, so if everyone loves to go to Andy's, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. You can look at the ingredients. It's generally the same type of ingredients you're going to see everywhere else. If you're like doing that... Like the yeah, custard yeah. Andes? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot you guys have one. Yeah, yeah. They're based here. And okay. but uh when you're eating that stuff, of course you're not gonna do very well. Like I had it with some family that we had a big family event, and so everyone went out to Andy's. But if you can handle a little bit, you know, a couple of days, that's totally fine. But if you're doing it on a regular basis, 
those couple of days are going to turn right back into the reason you came in to see me. And right, so right. that is most of the time when to answer your question in, I guess, a very long way um, is because we did something to end up needing that protocol again. Yeah, my, my daughter asked me one time, like, what's the difference between ice cream and custard? And I was like, pretty much eggs, right? She's like, so you're telling me custard is healthy because it's got eggs in it, right? <laughs> That's protein, yeah, I, man. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was pretty clever. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, imagine if you're sensitive to eggs and you're eating custard as your cheat, you're not just getting the sugar, you're getting an immune response, a histamine response, and you're going to feel like crap. So um, just being aware. I mean, it's, it's hard to be aware unless you dialed in. So I would say patients are sometimes the worst advocates. Once they're healthy, they actually can pay attention to how they feel. Um, when you're sick, you have no idea what's going on. Um, even if you're reacting to stuff, you, you just don't really know what's going on. You're just reacting. Um, and so I, I think that's important. Um, as far as the food introduction, do you have a protocol there? Because one of the questions here has been on an elimination diet for four, four months. I feel great. Now what? So it depends on all the foods that they're off of. If it's one food, then what I usually tell them, let's say with gluten, try a little bit, see how you feel for the next three or four days. Then if you're okay, you might want to try a little bit more. Because um, not everyone's going to be you know, intolerant to a food for everyone, for the rest of your life. Now, it's really common for, I think, both of us to see one food possibly long-term that you're not going to be able to eat. That's really common. But let's say it is that person, they don't have that issue, they reintroduce it, seems to go okay. Now with gluten, of course, I'm going to have some caveats. I don't think we should be eating it all the time. I think it is inflammatory, period, uh, though it can be in a healthier form, which is the sprouted fermented sourdough. So you can definitely get it really, really good quality. And there are some helpful nutrients and it can be a kind of a probiotic food too. Um, but um, that being said, what you're going to look for is how do I feel? Now, I am gluten intolerant. I can handle a whole lot more than I used to. I don't get a migraine immediately. But if I eat it consistently for a long period of time, it'll start to build up and there's my migraine. And so then the question is, the first time that I ate it, is it causing some low degree of inflammation? Most likely. Most likely it's causing some degree of inflammation. So it's whether or not you're comfortable with that and whether or not that's going to lead to something down the road. Because I, migraines have been not proven but the hypothesis is out there that it is some sort of autoimmune reaction, which is interesting because of the way it, it tests. However, um, because of that, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to develop some autoimmune thing later down the road because often autoimmune diseases follow each other. So I don't want to mess with it. And so for somebody who say he, they're off of three or four foods, you're going to do it one day at a time, one food at a time. You're going to wait several days and then you're going to try again. So it's common for me to full, pull off foods. And this is not a food intolerance, um, but it's to pull off, uh, pull foods away because somebody has a fungal issue. And so a lot of sugars, a lot of different other foods could be fructose. So a lot of the fruits depends on the person. And so I'm going to pull them off of those. And then as the fungus is gone or hopefully gone, we're going to reintroduce those foods slowly, one at a time, wait a few days in between introduction and just see how you feel. And if it is not going so well, you're going to pull back. If it's going okay, you're going to continue to push forward within reason. You're obviously not going to go back to table sugar and uh, throwing that all over the place and eating custard and, and cheesecake and whatnot. But yeah, that's kind of how I approach elimination diet. Yeah, I think, I think uh, one of the things that patients mess up on this one is that 
that reaction to that food can take up to 72 hours or so, you know, or longer um, before it really builds up. Like you said, like I'm corn sensitive myself. I mean, honestly, I can eat it for like 15 days before I have a single symptom. Um, I choose not to do that because my symptom with corn is typically chronic fatigue. um, And then I don't want to get out of bed or record podcasts or, you know, help any patients anymore. I just want to lay there. Um, so I don't enjoy doing that. So I don't do it anymore. But that's one thing that I like patients to have control over their problems. You want to be chronically fatigued all the time. That's cool. Like, go ahead. Like your game, you want to have migraines every day. Um, and you don't care if you eat gluten, that value. Um, <clears throat> I have multiple patients that actually choose migraines over their food intolerance. Um, it it doesn't make that. any sense. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me, but once again, I, I, I get it. We all make our own choices. Um, yeah. Okay, here's one. I don't know if you have much much experience with BPC-157. I can talk about that if you don't. Yeah, you go for it. Uh, not a ton of experience with that one. I, yeah, I mean, so I know BPC- it. I, I understand it to a degree, but yeah, not a ton of experience with it. Yeah, so I, I was introduced to BPC-157 from a bunch of phone consults, actually, where uh, these were UC patients, ulcerative colitis patients, um, that were saying like, hey, as long as I take six BPC-157, which is pretty expensive. I mean, that's they're like a hundred dollars a bottle and a hundred, I don't know if it's 60 caps. I mean, you're looking at a hundred bucks every 10 days or so. Um, but that they're all their bleeding stopped, Right. And so after I heard it like the fourth or fifth time, I was like, okay, let's try this out. So we did try it out in the office and there's a BBC 157 is really cool. Actually, where I do see, uh, an immediate increase in healing effect, um, in those patients, that being said, it lasts about two weeks. Um, so that's my catch. Like it upregulates regeneration of that gut lining for a period of two weeks. It's very expensive for doing that. And it goes under, in my opinion, um, the band-aid story of glutamine of high dose glutamine. We didn't talk about this in the last podcast, but essentially like glutamine for a UC case, also colitis, colitis case, the dosage matters. You might need like 25 to 27 grams a day. Um, if you're using a, you can use the cheap brands and that's a little cheaper, but if you're using like a pure encapsulations or a high intent, like, like in a good brand of glutamine, I mean, you could be spending like three, four, $500 a month on glutamine to address an acute ulcerative colitis. Now, if you don't have a doctor, I mean, maybe that's what you're doing, but uh, it's interesting. So my kind of stance on BPC-157 is it has potential, um, but I haven't seen it last and I have tried it out with multiple patients. Um, and I haven't, the big thing about peptides in general that I'll just kind of give everyone a warning, uh, peptides promote growth. So growth, when you have stagnant growth, it can be beneficial, but growth when you already have normal growth is called a tumor. So we have to be careful when we stimulate processes with exogenous things, although maybe natural, but they're very strong, right? So it's kind of like in that drug category, peptides just aren't regulated yet. So. Yeah. That's kind of the story. Okay. I got a patient that, or sorry, a question here that says constipation and hard pedals. What pebbles, constipation, and hard pebbles. Uh, <laughs> what do you think uh, you would go to first if someone had like some severe constipation or pebbles coming out? So if they're the, if it's the first time they're coming in, what I'm going to do is similar to what we've been talking about. I want to know if, do you have an infection? Do you have some sort of overgrowth? Um, do you have a food intolerance? Those are the two big ones I need to know. Um, I think I had someone here recently with a similar thing. I can't remember the food intolerance offhand, but you know, if it's gluten, if it's dairy or something like that, dairy is really common, uh, generally to cause that. But, um, for those people, you need to remove that. And then oftentimes the constipation gets better infection. You're going to have it like you're going to have inflammation in your gut and it's going to be really hard for that. 
Now, the other thing that's involved is whether your gallbladder is functioning correctly, whether your stomach acid is functioning correctly, and that can all cause issues of constipation. Of course, then you got the go-to easy, simple answers, which is, are you drinking water? That's a helpful one. Or you are you drinking a ton of caffeine, which is going to be a diuretic, and then you're going to be just peeing out a lot of it. And that can cause an issue, though less of a less common than I would see. Last one is, are you magnesium deficient? Like those are simple ones. Um, now, it depends on what part of the country you are and how much food you're eating. Like magnesium is definitely one of the harder ones. Uh, cheese has magnesium in it. Legumes have magnesium. And that ends up becoming a little bit of an issue for us because we're paleo advocates and you don't generally eat legumes Not when you're paleo. Uh, and so... Uh, from that standpoint, it can become a little bit difficult to get the magnesium. And there is some research uh, saying that most likely our ancestors got it from drinking spring water, which we don't often drink spring water if you live in the city. <laughs> so you don't get as much magnesium. So that's one of the ones that, you know, it's an easy answer or at least an easy answer until you figure out what could be an underlying root cause. So like giving them some magnesium citrate, like natural calm, you can pick up in most grocery stores, um, is an easy answer. answer until we get to whether it is a food intolerance and infection or something else causing that. But yeah, that's kind of my go-to. Yep. And I, I like the citrate form of magnesium too. Uh, so I think that's, that's a, that's an easy one. There are some other uh, herbs that I use. Like if you have severe constipation, I often use uh, a Cape aloe, actually like the Douglas labs, Cape aloe um, for just, you know, I, for me to heal a gut, I need to have bowel movements. So constipation can be really a big problem in the office. Like, so if you're only having a bowel movement once a week, I really don't have a chance to clear everything out. But once a week, we talked in the last podcast that you could heal in 72 hours, but if you have no bowel movements for 72 hours, then you're not going to get any better. And so that's always yep. like every once in a while, I'll use that band and, and Cape aloe for sure is a bandage just so everyone knows, but like it's, it will stimulate a bowel movement in most people. Um, and so that we don't have to use like harsh laxatives and things like that. Um, but I need a bowel movement for it to work. Like you said, gallbladder is like the first thing to go to. You're probably not making enough bile, especially with the pebbles. Um, probably not, not enough bile. Um, a little dehydration, which could be affecting the solubility of that bile or estrogen dominance causing that bile to be strong yeah. uh, or, or too sluggish. So it's not really like coming out like liquidy like it should, um, which takes us to the next question. Leaky yeah, gut and estrogen <laughs> dominance. Like, yeah. like, how, like, give me a connection there because... I'll be honest. It's not a direct connection in my opinion. Like it's not like everyone with estrogen dominance has leaky gut, but, but where do you see those things connected? So oftentimes you're seeing people come in with presenting with both, especially these days. How often can you say, Dr. Anderson, um, somebody has estrogen dominance walking into your office? If they're female under 40. <laughs> it's, seriously, it's common. And then how much more common is it in men now? It's becoming pretty common, generally speaking. And so Somewhat like leaky gut, someone walking in, you're probably going to assume. Uh, that being said, um, how you see the connection goes right back to that gallbladder or liver. So the liver sluggish, the gallbladder sluggish, and the gut is often not necessarily root, but directly connected to it because uh, of that connection. Like when you absorb things through the gut, it's going to go through your uh, through the liver and then through everything else in your body. It's going to go through the bloodstream. Um, so the liver is kind of that, you know, one of those checkpoints. So if your liver is not working well, you're not detoxifying well, 
then we're going to have a huge problem. And since the liver is directly connected to the gut, if your gut is sluggish because you got leaky gut, leaky gut, or it's inflamed, or it's just not working great, you're constipated, that sort of thing. So you're going to see that connection there. The other one that comes to mind is uh, the connection between fungus and estrogen dominance too. Um, so fungal overgrowth, you're going to see fungus like having a, a good time with that when you are estrogen dominant, because it feeds off of some of that. And because of that, then your gallbladder is not going to be functioning correctly. You're not going to be able to excrete bile the like you should, leading back to our wonderful last question of constipation. And then you get this horrible, vicious cycle. And yeah, somebody's going to be like, inflamed, not, they're going to be overweight and all that fun things. And nothing like being constipated, overweight, and estrogen dominant, right? That's a, as I'm sure the females enjoy that scenario in life and the males too. Like you said, I actually have a patient right now where we're doing, uh, you know, gynecomastia treatment, not specifically an overweight guy, but like, you know, specifically having um, growth and irritation in the nipples. And it's like, it's like, man, you have to address that because that's not just a nipple problem, right? It's not just a aesthetics problem. It's not just like you don't look good with your shirt off as a guy. It's more to it. It's, it's telling you that there's an internal problem that has to be addressed and it's critical. Um, and, and. On that note on gynecomastia, I don't know why it matters, but I just mentioned it today. Like it, it can take a while for guys, um, but you have to get on top of it and keep keep working on it. Um, okay, so that's kind of the connection between leaky gut and estrogen dominance. Just because you have leaky gut doesn't mean it causes estrogen dominance. Just because you have estrogen dominance, you don't have to have leaky gut. Um, but let's go to kind of, I'd say, one of the last couple questions here, or maybe the last question. Um, someone says, you know, What's the most important thing to do? I'm all online and I'm overwhelmed with how much I can do. What's my first step? What would you say? Give, give them something simple, Dr. Gabe. So that they're just overwhelmed with everything. How are you going to deal with this? Um, it depends on the person and how willing they are. Uh, I've had people that are much more willing, even though they state something like that, to follow some of my protocols. Sometimes I just go really simple. And, I, and it's good that you get brought this up because I do have somebody here recently that was very much like that. And so I'm taking it very slow with them. They have a lot going on, a lot. Um, and so with that in mind, you know, it's maybe just a single herb, a simple diet change, and then we take it from there. And then if they can handle a little bit more, a little bit more. But then I have people where you absolutely need to fix your diet. It can't be... Um, eating Doritos and Cheetos and all the other stuff. Right. And then, and then you go gluten-free and that's it. Like that's not going to do the, do the trick at all. You're going to have problems with that. So if they're feeling overwhelmed, my number one thing, because they have leaky gut, I would not doubt that they're not making their neurotransmitters correctly. And yeah. if they're not making their neurotransmitters correctly, especially feeling overwhelmed from stress I am thinking dopamine. Dopamine is the one that most people are not um, paying attention to. Um, you're, you're always paying attention to serotonin and 90%, some 90% is created in your gut. Now there isn't that direct connection between the gut and the brain the way we want it to. Like you can't just take serotonin from your gut and put it in your brain. It doesn't work like that. Um, but the same mechanisms are at play. And so with dopamine, about 50% is made in your gut. And so if we're noticing something like that, I am going to uh, directly address that. So I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to be like, are you uh, lacking concern for others? Do you have feelings of hopelessness or worthlessness? Do yeah. you have kind of a more agitated depression? Like you're on edge, you can easily lose your temper. 
Um, there could be like low libido already present, um, maybe some addiction issues. Um, but then the big one that I'll ask, how's your motivation, especially in the morning? And if those are all checked, I'm going straight to dopamine and I want to know where are they breaking down in the pathway that we create, how we create dopamine. A lot of these people are going to have thyroid issues too, whether secondary or primary. And so you're just drawing these connections between all of them. And then I want to know which vitamin or mineral most likely they're deficient in. And probably by by most common for me is uh, the activated B6, pyridoxal 5-phosphate. I see that a lot. Okay. And it's not the only one, but it is common for dopamine. And this will help them in the meantime. It is not going to fix the problem. Uh, it's going to help them in the meantime, get things pumped, get their uh, get it going. And so then the diet, the changes, the herbs, and so, so on can do the, the work behind the scene that really needs to be done. But this can at least help them deal with the stress in the meantime. Yeah, I, <laughs> you went from simple to complex. I'm going to give you that. <laughs> but I will say... I will say essentially what you did was twofold is the overwhelm was that whole second part. If you're just feeling overwhelmed in general, I think he just gave you a lot of insight into that. You know, as far as, you know, just going straight leaky gut, what to do. Um, like you said, uh, you know, clean up the diet, take one antimicrobial that one of us recommends. That's pretty good. I mean, you can go to the last podcast with three or four, choose one, clean up your diet, call it a day, whatever your version of cleaning up the diet is right. If that's, yep. If that's a flawless diet, great. If you can't do a flawless diet, great. You know, start cutting back, get, get your, your health on the right journey. And, and I would say that's the basics. Um, that's all the questions we had for today. We didn't have a ton today this week. Uh, do you have any specific ones that you hear all the time that you want to talk about today, Doug? I mean, th we probably covered most of the ones that I tend to hear um, with leaky gut. Like most people are concerned because they hear it, they're scared. Um, the only other thing that, I could imagine that would show up as leaky brain. Uh, I have heard a lot of people talk about the gut brain axis and how important that is, which I kind of just indirectly answered with the dopamine side of things. Um, yeah. You for sure will have bleed over into that. The other big one is like GABA because uh, people are just overly stressed or anxious. And a lot of times they just need some GABA. Um, so there are great herbs for that. There is also just, you know, taking B6 or zinc or something like that can help. And the only other thing, like, yeah, you mentioned I went complex. You're, you're probably always going to hear me kind of do a little bit of that because one of the things that bothers me when I listen to podcasts is people hold back. I don't want doctors or anyone to hold back. As much as it's difficult maybe to understand, um, I don't want anyone to hold back uh, when, you know, your health is on the line. It's not necessarily that I'm trying to hide this behind a paywall or anything like that. It's information that I've learned that me and Dr. Anderson have learned that we really want to help people get better. And so if we can provide just that one little thing that could help you get better, we're going to do that instead of talking only in generalities. Yeah, I, I, I like that. It does get complex. Hence, I mean, sure. that was the other thing I thought about what's like the easiest way to get better from a leaky gut. Give Dr. Gabe a call, get on the phone, have him figure it out for you and just follow instructions, you know. He says, take three pills a day. You take three pills a day. That's really, that's a really simple way to do it is get someone else to do it for you. Someone that's trained in things like that. But no, I, I love the passion for healing people. I think, um, that one of the questions we went over when we were going to add Dr. Gabe as a co-host was, you know, are we going to put all this research out there? And, and my, my direct answer was no, we're not going to put any research you can fact check me all day long. I don't care. That's your time, but I'm not going to spend my time 
providing research articles for you to verify what I see. Um, and, and my job is to go and do my own research and come up with conclusions clinically. But I think that that's the, the evolution of holistic medicine. What you need is doctors that can think on their own, assess the tall, the, the, all the articles that you read, all of the research that you read, and then how does that apply to the patient? So like you said, like you probably wouldn't treat a leaky gut with depression without giving them something for that depression, even if it's as simple as B6. So I, I love that. Last thing I'll say is uh, just because pet peeve of mine, and like you said, don't hold back, right? But uh, everyone takes these B complexes and it just drives me crazy. So let's say that you do have anxiety and you stack like a, or, or dopamine issues. Let's go back to your example. Dopamine issues and you're feeling like lethargic in the morning, low motivation, um, you know, not, not really interested in doing anything with life right now. And if you take a B6 and a 5-MTHF, most of the time, you'll actually end up neutral, right? So not always. Sometimes people do need all the B vitamins. But I, I, my experience is this. If you're doing B vitamins, you want to do them individually to see the response. Um, and even that B6 is required you know, for healthy metabolism of the glutamine that you're taking. So there's a lot of reasons to take that B6. I'm not opposed to all the methylation products. I'm just saying uh, probably B6 was more common in my office previously. I use a little less now, but definitely probably one of the most common. Um, I do use some combo products of B6 and B9 just to be transparent there, but there's only specific brands that actually seem to have the right ratios that, that promote brain health the way that I want to. So once again, I think, I think just paying attention and once again, calling a doctor, if Dr. Gabe can figure out that it's low dopamine versus low serotonin, both of them feel bad. Both of them are somewhat depressed. Both of them are somewhat not so happy in life. Um, but the doctor can tease that out for you a little bit. And so that's all I would say. Um, you can reach out to either one of us. Uh, I'm easily accessible on Instagram, probably for about another month. I'm still answering DMs. Uh, but if you listen to this over a month from now, that's going to be blocked off uh, because we get too many DMs in a day and it's hard to keep up. Um, but definitely you can schedule a phone consult with me or you can schedule a phone consult with Dr. Gabe. Any final words, doc? No, I love it. Love everything you just said. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I like you, I mean, I am easy to get a hold of and stuff, but, uh, yeah, if I start to get overwhelmed, like you, same thing. Uh, it's just, I gotta have focus for uh, the patients that I do. Right. So once again, not a paywall thing, just trying to make sure that we can serve the people that we do. Um, making yep. sure we can get back to the emails and the people that you know have committed to seeing us uh, financially, that is. Uh, but long story short, find me on Instagram. We have all some of the video from this podcast as well as like just replays so it can remind you of the stuff that we talked about. Um, you know, find both Dr. Gabriel and me on Instagram and then come find us there and hang out with us and find you know more information that you may be missing. And we'll bring another podcast in another week for you. Thanks a lot for listening. Yep. See you next time.